Well, good morning. Uh, happy Father's Day to you. Uh, we have many different types of fathers, right? But uh, we all have someone who wants to be our father, and that's God. So if you don't have a father this morning, maybe you're sitting here and this day isn't special for you. Maybe your father has, has passed. He's no longer with you. I want you to know that this morning you can know the love of a father. You can know the love of a father. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter number 3. Uh, my name is Micah Self. I try not to be a, a selfish preacher, but sometimes I can't help it. I've been blessed to be in uh, global evangelism the last few years. God has let me go to eight countries around the world. Uh, so far this year, I spent two months in East Asia in the 1040 window, which is the largest unreached group of people in the world. And I can tell you that in places where Christians are being persecuted, jailed, and killed, God is working. God allowed me to see souls saved in, in East Asia, in countries where there are actually anti-conversion laws. If you convert, the person who told you the gospel can be put in jail. But people are still coming to know the love of God through Jesus Christ. I spent a month in Honduras and was able to experience the culture there, go into schools and preach. And Teens and adults were saved in Honduras as well. American missionaries are doing a great job there. The last month, I've been in New York, southern Florida, California, and now I'm in Michigan, I think. So I'm speaking for junior camp at Camp Kobiak, and then from there I go to Nebraska, and then back to Florida. So I'm very happy to be here with you this morning. Uh, my father was like yours, not perfect. But there are things that I can be thankful for. One of the things that he always taught me was this. If you mess with the bull, you get the, the horns. You heard that one too, right? <laughs> People would often compliment my father. He would, they would say, you know, you have, you have really good children. And he would say, yeah, they're pretty good in between beatings. Sometimes uh, people would ask him, why, why did you have five kids? Are you a Mormon? And he would say, no, we just didn't want six. <laughs> he, he had all these, all these phrases. I, th I think he stole this one from somebody else. But one of my favorite things of my father was, if I was on his uh, wrong side, his bad side, he would look at me and say, don't mess with me, son. I brought you in this world and I'll take you out. He'd say, it doesn't make a difference because I can make another one that looks just like you. <laughs> that, was, uh, <laughs> that was my relationship with my father. And uh, I've made sure that I text him to call him a little bit later. If, like I said earlier, if you don't have a father, you didn't have a good relationship with your father. We all know in society, we know from psychologists, sociologists, how important a father is. When you look at those who have the most difficult life in our country, if you look at our, our prisons, if you look at the depression, if you look at many of the psychological issues, 
If you're a Christian counselor and you work with people who are struggling, you can often find a connection back to what they call a father wound or issues with your father. I was never good enough. I never felt like he loved me. He was never there for me. But today I hope that you will find there is a father who loves you. And there is a father who is perfect. Look with me at 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 1. 1 John 3 and verse number 1. Behold, observe, look, consider what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not, beloved or loved ones. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, Jesus, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself even as He is pure. I want to challenge you with one thought this morning. We'll look at different aspects of it. But my thought this morning is this. Would you live, would you live your life to please your Father? Would you, starting today, live your life to please your Father? Let's pray. God in heaven, I do believe that you're a good Father. We may not always see it, we may not always understand it, but you've proven it. Help me to preach this morning, and I pray for these dear people that they would listen to your word and and listen to the Holy Spirit who is to reveal Jesus the evidence of your love to us. God, help us to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. I know it's Father's Day, so you're already thinking about the amazing lunch you're going to have. And the teenagers have a long way to go, so we're just going to only be here about an hour, two hours, and then we can all go to lunch. I'm just kidding. We have to get done, hopefully, earlier than the rest of the churches so we don't have to wait in line for lunch, right? This is not a criticism, but we don't have to worry about the church of God because they're in church till two or three anyway. So we just have to beat the other Baptists, all right? When I was growing up, I wanted to please my father. I think anyone who who has a dad wants their dad's approval. Now, some dads are easier to please than others, right? Some dads, they just lavish praise and everything their son does is, is the best. One time in my youth group, we had two dads who were working with the youth group. And they weren't really working with the youth group. They were there to work with their sons. And we had a youth group volleyball match at a park, just a friendly match. And the one dad was keeping score for his son's side. And the other dad was keeping score for his son's side. And they got off by about a point. And all of a sudden, at a church picnic, two dads are yelling at each other, over a volleyball game that they're not even playing in because they love their sons. They wanted their sons to be the best. They wanted their sons to win. They wanted their sons to be happy. And there are dads who are all about their children's happiness and there are other dads who are harder to please. I was very thankful that my dad taught me to work at a young age. Well, I wasn't at the time. I am now. 
But when he would have me mow the lawn, he was a bit of a perfectionist. Does anybody know somebody like that? Yes. You love them to death, right? To death. (laughs) And my dad would have me mow the lawn, and he would go out and inspect it. And if one line was crooked, and I couldn't fix it with the single pass. I had to mow the lawn again. And it was terrible because it was all cut. I just had to get all the lines straight again. And then I would go in his room and see that it was a mess. I'd be like, come on, you know, what are you doing here? But I remember one time I, I just, I worked so hard to get those lines just straight. And my dad walked out on the front porch and he kind of looked at it. And I could tell he was really looking it over. And I knew he wasn't going to find anything this time. And he was looking and he was looking and he went, huh, good job, son, and walked off. I will never forget that moment. Because I pleased my father. And I didn't have to mow the yard twice. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. In our lives, if we feel like we are doing everything we can to please somebody, and we can't, what do we do? We give up. Or we get angry. Or we get bitter. And I want to share something with you this morning. Your Heavenly Father loves you. And it's not because you're gifted. And it's not because you're talented. And it's not because you're spiritual. And it's not because you're successful. Your Heavenly Father loves you because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. You see, the central truth of Christianity is that man is inherently sinful and selfish. The world says that we're all basically good people who sometimes do bad things. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says we are all selfish people who sometimes manage to do good things. But here's the thing. If you do good things for other people so you can feel good, who are you really doing good things for? Yourself. If you go to church and you're a good person to earn your way to heaven, are you doing it out of love? No, you're doing it for yourself. And the Bible says in Matthew 22 that the greatest command is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. See, I've been blessed to travel to countries in the East where the predominant religion is idolatry. I was once in a hospital, and the people there were beseeching their gods, not because the gods loved them, but because they were scared of the judgment of the gods. I was in a hotel in a country in the east, and I have to be vague with some of the places I've been just because they're restricted. And I was talking to this man about his religion, and he gets up every morning and he prays to this statue and he gives it food and and he, he serves it and he does everything he can to be remembered in this life. Because if he's remembered in this life, then maybe one of his million gods will let him into heaven in the next. And he does everything he does out of fear. Why does he worship the idol? Because he's afraid if he doesn't, bad things will happen. But he doesn't worship the idol because he loves it. He worships the idol because he's scared of it. And I want you to know something. God doesn't want you 
to worship Him and come to church and do the right things because you're scared of His punishment. God wants you to do the right thing because you love Him as your Father. I asked this man this question. I said, so you worship this idol, you do this, you do this, how do you know it's true? And I said, so does your God love you? And he said, what? I said, does your God love you? He said, I don't know. The only reason any of us here today are part of God's family is because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. No one here is going to heaven because they're good enough, because they've earned God's love, because they deserve it. No one's going to heaven because they're better than someone else. No one's going to heaven because they're more successful, because they have a better family than someone else. We are all righteous in God's eyes because of Jesus and because of Jesus alone. And the only reason we can be right with this God whom we've sinned against is because He loves us. Do you remember what the Bible says in 1 John 4? We love Him because He first loved us. You see, Christianity isn't about earning God's blessings. Christianity is about earning your way to heaven. Christianity is about I am sinful and I am selfish and most of my life is lived for me. I live for my finances. I live for my success. I live for my friendships. I live for my hobbies. I live for what I want. And yet somehow our Father has chosen to save us. And there are millions of people who will never receive His love and they will go to hell, not because God doesn't love them, but because they have not received His love. They have not received His love. You see, sometimes the problem in our lives is not that our fathers were bad, but because we were bad. Have you ever seen a family and you think that mom or that dad loves their child so much and that child will not obey? Have you ever seen that? And you see the broken heart of the parent. And the child will sometimes look back and blame all the problems in his life on the parent. And everyone who knows that child will say, No, your parents loved you, but you were too selfish to see it. And many times in our life, God absolutely loves us and God has the best for us because He wants us to be His sons and daughters in Christ, but we are too focused on ourselves. So, I want to ask you a question. You cannot understand the Bible. You cannot understand anything about Christianity if you are not first a child of God. How do you become a child of God? Would you keep your finger here, but look with me at John chapter number 1. This gospel was written by the same disciple who wrote the epistle that we just read. He was known as John the Beloved. He, he liked being close to Jesus. He liked being near Jesus. He liked being around Jesus. And what's interesting is as I've traveled the world and as I've preached in many places and worked with teenagers over the past seven years, I've recognized something about us. We often relate to God based on our own personality or our own experiences. So if you had an angry or an unapproving father who you couldn't please, you know how we oftentimes view God? As angry and unapproving. 
If you had a father who was absent from your life and let you do whatever you wanted, it was just kind of back there in a way and was very free, you expect that God would be the same way. But you see, we can't make God fit our personality or our experiences. We have to let God tell us who he is. You see, we get out of balance because some people say, well, God is love. And basically that means you do whatever you want. You live your life, be however you want to be. And some people say, oh, no, God is holy. And it's God is just up there somewhere away from us. And we just have to somehow please his holiness. But the Bible says both. So what should we believe? Both. God is holy. And he is love. It's both. It's not either or. It's both. And you have to choose whether or not you're going to believe who God says he is or the image you have learned from family, from maybe a a false preaching and false teaching. So how do you become a child of God? How do you know God? John chapter number 1, and look with me at verse number 12. John 1, verse number 12. This is talking about Jesus. But as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that, what is that word? Even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, Jesus, the ever-existent one, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How do you know? How do you know that God loves you? How do you know? Because He he wants you. He wants you. God wants you. Do you remember as a kid playing uh, pickup games? And you all had to line up? And they chose the best players first? And then you didn't get chosen or you were the last one? How many of you like that feeling, being the last one? Does anyone like that feeling? I was always the last one and I liked it. Nobody likes that feeling. Nobody likes feeling like they weren't wanted, like they weren't important. So how do you know that God loves you? Because God wants you. He created you and you belong to God. But more than just Him wanting you to obey Him because you are His creation. God wants a relationship with you. God is not up in heaven as a cosmic boss just giving us rules. God wants to relate with you like a father. He wants to hear you. He wants to spend time with you. Why do we read our Bible? Sometimes we turn Christianity into something that's very dead and cold. We don't read our Bibles because if we do, we'll get more blessings. This is how you know God. You don't get married and say, okay, I said I do. See you later, honey. I'm going to go have fun with the boys. I, did the, I have the ring. Why do you keep bugging me about talking to you? That's not how it works. There's relationship, there's a commitment there. And when you get saved, God doesn't say, hey, read the Bible or I'm going to be angry at you and bad things are going to happen. No, God says, I love you. This is how you know me. This is how we have relationship. So whether you read for five minutes or five chapters, what's important is do you want 
to have a relationship with God? Do you want to spend time talking with God? This is how God has revealed Himself to us, is through His Son, whom He loved. So, back to 1 John chapter number 3. Are you a child of God this morning? Have you believed on Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus? It's different than knowing about Jesus. Pretty much everyone in America knows that Jesus died on a cross. I'm sure there are some people who don't know, but just about everyone knows Jesus died on a cross. But that is different from believing on Jesus to save you. When I go overseas, I know that the airplane can get me there. I believe that. I absolutely believe that the 747 can get me there. But if I was to go to the ocean and try and swim myself, I would die about 100 feet out. Because I'm not a very good swimmer. Now this is how oftentimes people view God. They think, okay, God is perfect, God is holy, and I'm going to swim to please Him when you're never going to get there. You have to believe on Jesus. I know the plane can get me there, but unless I actually believe on the plane, I am not getting where I want to go. In the same way, you have to be perfect to please God, and you can't do it. Therefore, you must believe on Jesus, who was perfect and died for you and rose from the dead. Have you believed on Jesus to save you from your sins? I'm not asking if you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you've had a religious experience. Have you chosen to believe on Jesus to save you from your sins and give you eternal life? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So let's go back to 1 John 3 and and look at what it says in verse number 2 and 3. Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So because of Jesus Christ, the pure one, the holy one, we can be right with God. We can have a relationship with God. We can know God. And because we can know God and we are loved by God, we should seek to please Him. So, do you desire to please God? Do you desire that your finances, the way you handle them, would be pleasing to God? Do you desire that your marriage or your relationship with your family would be pleasing to God? Do you desire that the things you watch on television, the music you listen to, Your very attitude would please your heavenly Father who loves you. You see, in Jesus Christ, you are accepted in the beloved. You are a child. You are a son. You are totally accepted and loved by God. Will you now respond to that love and say, God, I'm going to live clean. Not because I'm scared of bad things happening to me. I'm not going to live a clean life just so I can get something from you. God, I am going to love you and serve you and honor you because you are my heavenly Father. That is the greatest form of Christianity. All the religions of the world teach fear. The spirits will get you if you don't do this seance. 
The gods will judge you if you don't offer the sacrifice. And yes, the fear of the Lord is taught in the Bible, but the greatest command is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. You can go to church on a Sunday morning and not love God. You can sing in the choir and not love God. You can hold the King James Bible, have the right dress standards, and go to the right church and not love God. You can wear a tie on Sunday morning and not love God. You can scream at your wife and kids all the way to church, walk in, oh, hey, brother, hey, sister. You can do that and not love God. See, Christianity isn't about this external set of rules and regulations. It's about who you are and what you have affections for on the inside. And if we want revival in America, we can complain about politics. We can complain about the homosexuals. We can complain about the liberals. But the Bible says that judgment starts at the house of God. The Bible says that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Did you ever notice that in the Old Testament... The prophetic books with the harshest judgments, typically Israel rebelled and still was punished. David said, thy gentleness hath made me great. So will you respond to God's love? A good father sometimes punishes his children, right? I was telling the teens this morning that that my dad was not afraid to take off his belt and uh, let me know who was in charge. And when I was young, I liked to run into the street. I don't know why, but I like to run in the street. And I wouldn't obey my dad, so he took me inside, he bent me over his knee, and he smacked me a few times with the belt. The next time I started running towards the street and my dad said, stop, what do you think I did? I stopped. And I actually remember when I stopped, the car went right in front of me. Sometimes, God's chastening hurts. But did you know that even when God allows bad things to happen, it's because He loves you? Have you ever met a really spoiled child? It's interesting, as I've worked with children for over eight years now, oftentimes the spoiled children are worse than the ones who have had to go without. Oftentimes the spoiled children are worse than the ones who got a little less. Oftentimes the spoiled children are the ones who are much more difficult and have more anxiety and issues because they don't know the kind of love that it takes to to tell a child no. And I've seen this. Now, I'm not advocating abuse. If that's what you're hearing, you're hearing the wrong thing. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that giving a child everything they want and ask for, in my experience, has never produced a child that has compassion or empathy. In fact, you can look it up. I think there was a case in Alabama where a kid was driving and killed somebody and they didn't prosecute him because he had affluenza. He was so affluent because he had had so much in his life. He couldn't understand what it meant to suffer, to feel pain, to be different. He had everything handed to him and he was so affluent that when he did something to somebody else, he couldn't relate, he couldn't understand and so therefore he couldn't be convicted. Now, through revelation, you can know right and wrong whether or not you've suffered, but the point is this. A parent who punishes their child is not evil. A parent 
who teaches their child is not evil. And in the same way, if God punishes or allows things in our lives, we have the Bible that says it is for our profit. Go home today and read Hebrews chapter number 12. Yes, sometimes life hurts. But the Bible says we know that all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good, but all things work together for good to those that love God. And here are your options, my friends, my brothers and sisters. Here are your options. You can get bitter at God and bitter at life circumstances and let it ruin you. Or you can come to God and say, Father, I don't understand, but would you bring healing in my life? Those are the only two options. That is all you have. You have bitterness And you can become cynical, and you can become dead emotionally, and you can become hateful, and you can resist God, and you can resist His Word, and you can resist preaching and live for yourself. Or you can say, God, I believe Your Word. I believe You desire me because You want me in heaven through Jesus, and I'm going to ask You to heal the pain that has happened. Those are your only two choices. Now, sometimes the pain is our own fault. Would you agree? Sometimes we inflict ourselves because of bad choices. But sometimes when you can't understand, you have two options, bitterness or healing. And healing comes with trusting the love of a Heavenly Father. We all have a dad. Every one of us. You may not know him. You may not like him. But you have one. Not all of us, though, not all of us, though, have a Heavenly Father. Because the only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in Jesus? I'm not asking if you know about it. A prayer doesn't save you. I want to be careful how I say this, but asking Jesus into your heart doesn't save you. That's not in the Bible. It says receive Him, believe on Him. But the object of our faith is not a prayer. It's not something we do. The object of our faith is believing on who? It's Jesus who saves us. That's the gospel. When I was in Georgia, I asked a group of kids, do you know what the gospel is? It's it's actually amazing how many Christians don't know what the gospel is. It's actually shocking. They'll say, "Uh, the Bible, uh, Jesus, uh, a story. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day. 1 Corinthians 15. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That we can be saved and forgiven because of Jesus. And I was in Georgia and I was working with kids. And I asked them, I said, kids, do you know what the gospel is? And this kid shot up his hand. And I said, yes, what's the gospel? And he said, that's God's music. <laughs> okay, gospel, gospel music. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins. And God has provided forgiveness, not through a prayer, not through baptism, not through something you do. God has provided forgiveness through His Son, Jesus. And when you believe on Jesus, trust Jesus. God sees your faith and He counts it for righteousness. He puts Jesus' goodness in you. Not because you've done something, but you've believed and God does a miracle. He makes you born again. Have you been born again through Jesus Christ? Is God your father today? If you say, yes, Micah, I know he's my father. I know I've been saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I believed on Jesus. Are you living to please your father? Are you living for stuff, 
for hobbies, for all that you can gain and, and store up? Or are you living that when you go to heaven, you would hear your Father say, well done. Good job. Some of the most miserable people I know are wealthy. <laughs> right? How many actors, musicians, athletes, and successful people have to commit suicide, go through rehab, have 50 divorces, have all these issues before we get that money and success is not enough? Michael Jordan, one of the most famous athletes, one of my favorite players, he's not a happy man. At his Hall of Fame speech, he got up, and the the greatest of all time, criticized everyone who ever did something wrong to him. Got up and, and just so bitter, so angry. I pity the man. He, he is so competitive that I saw an article, an interview with him, and he said this, the competitiveness that drove me to be great at basketball is eating me alive. He goes to casinos and gambles millions of dollars at a time. I go to third world countries and I know how much food he could buy with that money. I know how much he could do for those who, who don't have health care. And I'm not judging the man. I pity him because he wasn't created to play basketball. He was created to know God. Steve Jobs. All the money in the world couldn't save him. In his biography, his best friend said that Steve Jobs, during the 60s hippie movement, went to India to try and find enlightenment. And he said, till the day he died, Steve Jobs never knew where he fit in the world. Because he wasn't created to make cell phones. He was created to please his father. And we, America is a broken place full of very wealthy people who are trying to find success and comfort and vacations and we're striving. And can I tell you something? Jesus got down and washed people's feet and he said, happy are ye if you follow this example. Most of us here probably have daddy issues. But you have a father who loves you. You have a father who you can please. You have a father who wants you. And will you decide today, on this Father's Day and every one fourth, that you will live to please your father? Because you're clean by the blood of Christ. And the Bible says that those who are pure want to keep themselves pure, want to keep pleasing their Father because He is pure. God loves you. God has a plan for you. But it starts with pleasing your Father.